0: What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the No Chalk Locks podcast. Alex Mueller here, joined by our very own Miles Jordan and Matt Eschelman. Another winning week in the NFL for the boys in No Chalk Locks, posting a 56% win rate on week three. So we'll go ahead and jump into that. Also, later on this podcast, we will preview the upcoming NHL season. That is just two weeks away. Right now, it's Tuesday, September 28th. We're recording at night. Um, but let's go ahead and jump into this NFL slate that we saw this past week. So Thursday night football kicked off week three with the Panthers on the road against the Texans. In Houston, we have a problem. A nice, easy cover the spread game here for Carolina. Miles happens to be a longtime Panthers fan, so no better than he to talk about this one.
1: Yeah, I mean, this was kind of the Panthers game to lose, in my opinion. And it's one of those where we got out of there with a win, but we got two main injuries in Christian McCaffrey and J.C. Horn going down. Um, it was really never in question. I don't think the Mills is worth shit. He does have a long neck, and uh, a lot of people are fans of a good neck, but it just wasn't enough for the Texans.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, clearly it wasn't. Houston was one for nine on third down conversions. That's not going to get you far. Uh, Closing line value showed that 80% of spread bets were on the Panthers, so it looked like everybody ate that night. Um, Let's jump into the Sunday afternoon. It was Chicago versus Cleveland, and oh, my God. So. Being from Chicago, I think I speak for everybody on the Bears fan base that Matt Nagy has to go. Um, Watching this game was absolutely miserable. 30 dropbacks, 21 of them were five-man protection, and they moved the pocket just once all first half. Completely unacceptable when you have a guy like Justin Fields as your quarterback, right? If you're Matt Nagy, you have to set your quarterback up for success. It starts from the top. So it almost felt like watching that that either Nagy was going out there and saying, okay, hey, look – I'm doing this on intentionally so I can prove to you guys that Fields isn't ready. Or he literally just stares at, you know, like a chalkboard chucks up a few plays and says, yeah, this is what a quarterback should work under. And that's not how it works, right? You have to set up a playbook that's beneficial to your quarterback. You obviously can't succeed as a quarterback without a good game plan. And um, I don't even think you could look at this game, nor can you look at week two and say, yeah, we know what fields is capable of because really he's just been the byproduct of Nagy's awful play calling. Um, I think they totaled like 47 net yards, which was by far the lowest we've seen. I think that was the lowest since 1950 that Cleveland Browns even allowed that. Um, so just an embarrassment. Something has to give here for um, Chicago. Miles, what did you kind of see? Did you see the same thing when you were watching this game, or what's your take there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I told everyone coming into the season that I wasn't high on fields, but it's not like you watch that game and go, yep, that was all Justin Fields' fault. Um, I saw a lot of people in the national media ripping apart Nagy for basically just dropping five in pass coverage and just as basically not helping his quarterback at all. He wasn't running a lot of bootlegs to move the pocket. He wasn't doing short, easy looks. Um, it was really just a game where Matt Nagy, like you said, almost sabotaged Justin Fields to prove the point that, hey, Andy Dalton should be starting.
0: Yeah, it's frustrating to see that too. Because, I mean, when you when you're going into that draft last year, you know that you're picking up Justin Fields. You know what he's capable of, right? He's a scrambler. He can run. But you're setting up five man protection on 21 of your 30 dropbacks. That does nothing but kill the quarterback, right? Where does that give him any run to room, really?
1: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. It was definitely not a game plan that was optimal, uh, to say the least. But at the end of the day. Justin Fields also sucks, so I don't really sympathize too much um, for him. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, you are what you are.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to disagree on the sucks part. I don't think we've seen too much of him yet because we are under, we are under Nagy. But I think things need to change uh, moving forward for the Bears. But
1: no, moving past I saw, this game, I saw him
0: in college.
1: I saw him in college. <laughs>
0: Well, he put up numbers in college, right? But we'll agree to disagree here.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, moving on, the Baltimore versus Detroit game. This one had probably all Baltimore teaser fans and spread cover fans um, just nervous as hell. Um, if it wasn't for the Ravens' lord and savior, Justin Tucker, who ended up hitting a 66-yard field goal to win this game, this Baltimore team wouldn't be getting – or it would be getting more criticism than it is right now. Um Ash, I kind of want your opinion here. When Lamar got sacked with 35 seconds left and it's fourth and 19, Lions are up one. Did you almost feel like that was it for Baltimore?
2: <laughs> I mean, you can't expect someone to come into the game and break a break a record every every game. So, and and at that, I mean, you talk about inches. It dinked off, <clears throat> dinked off the crossbar and went over. So, I personally thought it never had a chance. Um, maybe maybe just a little bit of luck on their side. Um, I think it was one of the worst games Baltimore's played in the last couple of years now. A lot of that has to do to Hollywood Brown um, or, you know, everybody's aware of his drops, two of them on absolute easy touchdowns. He's got five yards between him and the defender. And that's really where Detroit's been getting beat all year. I mean, they've, they've given up 810 passing yards. And we saw Seattle, Tyler Lockett just actually, absolutely torched their secondary. Should have gone the same way. I mean if if you if Hollywood catches two of the three drops in that game, then, you know, Detroit is top 5 in passing yards against this season. That's really how bad their their secondary's been and I think we're going to see a lot of teams, you know, attack that all year.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like you're right. Absolutely right in the sense that if if Hollywood's catching those balls right, this this game wouldn't be as close as it is um as the final result and especially against the Lions secondary you know you're not facing a really good defense here so um they'll probably have a more tougher task when they go to the mile high next week against the Broncos that that team's 3-0 and but Miles is it is it a good 3-0 and are they a really really solid 3-0 and or what's going on there
1: I mean it's hard right because everyone says look at their schedule uh but they're also 3-0 and against the spread so if you're going to compare a team against who they play, they can't really control that. So if you want to look at how they're doing versus the expectations, you look at how they're doing against the spread, 3-0. and So I do think that they're a legit team, obviously. I think that it helps playing bad teams early, if nothing else but to get your confidence up. And I actually think that they are still a little undervalued. Um, they do have cluster injuries at the wide receiver spot, which worries me a little bit. But the Ravens' defense is nothing to bad an eye at. I, I actually expect and bet the over in this game.
0: Matt, do you kind of agree on that same lean there with the over? Maybe even uh, are you leaning anything towards Denver here?
2: Uh, I could, I understand Miles' take on the over. I, I personally can't lean towards Denver just because really where they've been capitalizing is on the rush D. And, obviously, the run game is where Baltimore thrives. I mean, Denver's given up the second least amount of rushing yards this season. But kind of going off of a said, set, I mean, you look at their record. I mean, like, Saquon Barkley's not who he is um, or, you know, used to be. The Jacksonville doesn't have or hasn't had much of a run game, and the Jets don't have a running back, period. So, like, you know, Denver's going to be truly tested for the first time. Um, so, I mean, I personally – think Baltimore, I mean, at plus money, I mean, I I understand being in in mile high and everything, but I don't see a reason why Baltimore doesn't come out on top on this one.
0: For sure. Um, So moving on to the next game, we have the Falcons versus the Giants. This game ended up combining for the second fewest points in a game in week three. And it was odd because majority of the bets were actually on the over. It didn't really look like neither team can get much going here. Miles, do you want to talk about that one?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is definitely an ugly game. Uh, the Falcons' play call is so weird. They, they're very committed to trying to establish the run, and they just can't. They've even done the classic put Cordell Patterson in the backfield and pretend like that's a wrinkle in an offensive scheme, and oddly enough, that did nothing. Um, also, on the other end for the Giants, they had two wide receivers go out, So after that, it was kind of the Falcons to lose. It's pretty hard to uh, win a game with no weapons. I I was actually impressed by Daniel Jones. It's not going to pop on the stat sheet, but he actually played pretty well. He even trucked Grady Jarrett to get in the end zone uh, early on in the first half, which is definitely a locker room momentum type play. What really popped out to me the most, though, was Matt Ryan under pressure. He was blitzed on and under pressure on 13 plays. Three of those plays grade as turnover potential plays with two interceptions and a fumble. And he had a PFF grade of 23.6 on those pressures. The reason this is important is because they're going against the Washington football team. Um, And Ash actually hit us in our group chat with the stat of the day on the Washington football team, who, a lot of people are down on their defense. But, Ash, tell them why that, they, that may be a false perception.
2: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a full false perception per se. I think there's more happening than people realize. The secondary, um, I mean, you have a rookie out of Minnesota in St. Juice who hasn't been strong. But I was looking at it, and so far the Washington defense only has six sacks which puts them towards the bottom half so far this year. But they have hurried up opposing QBs 27 times, which is the most in the league by six attempts. For reference, second is Carolina with 21 hurries, and Carolina has 14 sacks. So they have more than double the sacks with less hurries. I mean, at some point, something's just got to click here. Um, And the Atlanta O-line has just been absolutely terrible so I think we might see a game where the Washington defense shows you know some of that spark they had last year when they were you know the reason that Washington made the playoffs
1: right and we had talked about this a little bit too while I agree that Washington football team should have uh, more sacks and an actual name Uh, Chase Young does (laughs) rush the passer so weird. Like he runs right past the quarterback almost to flush him to step up. And I guess he's assuming that the tackles will do the rest, but he just takes such a wide route. And I don't know if that's a scheme thing for Ron Rivera or what, but maybe they'll adjust and uh, they can take Matt Ryan down a little bit this weekend.
0: Is it fair to say that there's a potential bet here on Washington week four?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, I'm on Washington for sure this week. The Falcons are actually my kryptonite. I usually have to text Ash 2.30 uh, a.m. in the morning in cold sweats in the corner of my room, praying for him to talk me off the ledge that is betting on the Falcons every week. Uh, and this week, that that intervention was successful.
0: <laughs> well, it paid off last week when we hit him at plus three against the Giants, and We'll actually be looking to bet against them this week with Washington on the road, favored by one and a half points. Uh, moving forward, we're going to touch upon the new Orleans saints versus the new England Patriots game. Um, the Patriots were favored by three in this game. Couldn't get anything to really go here. Uh, saints ended up taking a W a 28 to 13 win. Uh, Matt, do you want to talk more about that one?
2: Yeah, I don't think we need to, you know, really hit on too much. I mean, I think, a big part of this game was the Patriots losing James White. Um, really, you know, as we've kind of seen, the the Pats have tried to really develop the run game so that way they can get Mac Jones comfortable and spread the offense out. Um, with him hurt, I mean, they, they don't have a running back now. But New Orleans is definitely a team to watch. I mean, we saw them play an amazing game against Green Bay and then turn around and just absolutely look, like one of the worst teams in the league against Carolina, maybe there's, you know, maybe Carolina's D is the best in the league. I don't want to jump to conclusions here with, uh, in front of miles, but I will, um, I'll, I'll take that jump. <laughs> but, um, I think new Orleans, you know, once they figure it out, I mean, miles, miles dropped a phenomenal stat earlier. Was it? Jameis has seven touchdowns and just like 400 yards of offense. Um, right. so, you know, Kamara's is really doing all the work if, and like the Patriots going to figure that out. And if t- a team can't figure out how to stop Kamara, the, the Saints run defense has been one of the best in the league for two years now. So it really was just a bit of a mismatch.
0: So in week four, the Saints are actually at home right now. A few books are kind of varying. Some have, um, the Saints favored by seven and a half. Some have eight. Is there any value to be had in, in the Giants' side of the, uh, uh, this ballgame.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that we're definitely going to have to play the Giants. I think one one thing that not a lot of people are mentioning or taking into consideration is New Orleans actually has been practicing in Texas because of the hurricane that hit Louisiana um, a couple of weeks ago and they haven't been home once this entire NFL season, right? They had their week one game that was technically a home game on the schedule, but they ended up playing in Florida. So I think this is a week that a lot of the players get back. They, they're they adjusting to getting back home. Maybe they're taking care of things that they haven't been able to since they haven't been home. You know, they have a pile of things on the to-do list and they could easily overlook this giants team that I don't think it played that bad. Now I I do hope that um, Shepard is healthy for this game, for the Giants, but I just think eight is entirely too much.
0: Yeah, I think a bit more than than anything of a touchdown. um, Pretty much lock in the Giants there, and for all the reasons Miles brought up as well. Um, Moving forward is the Cincinnati Bengals versus Pittsburgh Steelers game. And, oh, man, the Steelers offense just looked awful. Um, Honestly, it doesn't even feel like they have a, a plan. Najee Harris was the leading receiver for the Steelers. And a big part of that actually is because the Steelers have a completely new O-line and they can't seem to give Harris the protection that he needs. And that's pretty much forcing big Ben to dump it off to Harris and limit the deep game. So this makes me bring up the question to you, Miles is could this actually be Tomlin's first losing season? Because we're going to see week four and he could potentially be one in three on a road game against the Packers.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not a favorable spot in their schedule. Um, I will say that this is not your classic Pittsburgh team. They're no longer Blitzburg. Uh, They're not blitzing a lot. Ben Roethlisberger threw the ball 58 times. Uh, He was 38 for 58, but there were 10 drops by his wide receivers. So that is just a glaring amount of drops. Um, I do think that he's a quarterback similar to Matt Jones that is actually at the age where he needs an established run game to help him out. And Pittsburgh is just not committed to doing that. They're trying to do a short passing game and a lot of bubble screens to use as a quasi run game. And it's just not working, especially with 10 drops. I mean, you can't establish any sort of a short game if you're going to have 10 drops. So I do think this could be Pittsburgh's first losing season. Uh, even if it's at 8-9 and with the additional game this year.
0: Yeah, so on the other side of the ball was Joe Burrow and the Bengals, and they seem to have their way there. From watching throughout these first few weeks, I think Jamar Chase is making a strong case for Rookie of the Year. That's for another conversation. Looking at Week 4, is this win over the Steelers kind of an overreaction on how the line set at minus 7.5 while they're at home hosting
1: the Jaguars? No, I mean, I think this is no. a Jacksonville sucks. What do you
2: think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I get a lot of heat for this. I mean, I I, I said, it, said it all last year before the draft. I've said it since the draft. Trevor Lawrence had never seen – he had only ever seen NFL-style secondaries in like three or four games in his college career, right? The ACC, there are hardly ever any corners or safeties – Coming out of the ACC, and we've seen like, and now we've seen T. Law really struggle. You know, obviously Jacksonville is not a great team around him, but he has really struggled. Um, and I'm not going to say Cincinnati's an amazing secondary or anything, but I'm I'm personally just not high on T. Law. I think he has developing to do in the NFL. Um, I'm not I'm not saying he wasn't ready to be a starter. He just got kind of thrown into a spot where he had never really seen those NFL style defenses um, that you know quarterbacks like Hertz has seen Alabama and whatnot, things of that nature. And I mean, we've seen it show. I mean, he's already got what five picks on the season. Um, He's got more picks than touchdowns so far. And I, you know, so far, I think that I might, I think that might continue for a bit. Um, The other piece is that Jacksonville right now is giving up one of the highest quarterback grades to opponents and Burrow has been looking deadly. So I don't see any reason why Cincinnati doesn't just – also, Mixon's been great, but I don't see any reason why Burrow doesn't throw all over Jacksonville, and they just absolutely pound them.
1: Yeah, I, I don't disagree at all. Um, I, I don't know if I would lay the seven and a half. If anything, I would I would maybe put, put the Bengals in a teaser, get that down to one and a half, because it would just be a pretty big upset to see them right, lose at this where point. Right, that's I'm oh nice so who would you get in the second half of that teaser alex
0: oh well (laughs) we have some Uh more games to talk about we'll get into oh you're
1: teasing the tease,
0: double tease. (laughs) exactly um i want to go ahead and and run into this next game that's the colts versus titans um so i watched this one throughout and it can honestly it felt like the colts could have had this one i think they it really just comes down to derrick henry at this one right Tennessee loses A.J. Brown early in the game. Um, going into the fourth quarter, it was a 14-13 to game. So it felt like the Colts could have gotten a road win, but I got to commend Tannehill and Henry for just putting their team on their back and running away with it. Um, the last two trips of the red zone, however, the Colts settled for a field goal. And, like, that's not enough, right? I saw a tweet earlier today that said Jonathan Taylor leads the NFL inside the five but has zero touchdowns. So clearly um, a problem going on. Minneapolis. Um, so a rough 0-3 start for the Colts here. Miles, I mean, what more can you say about Derrick Henry, man? How, how can you stop this guy?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, he's definitely one of those running backs that just wears down the defense. Uh, by the Titans staying committed to the run game, he's just always a guy who you hate to have to tackle 30 times. And that's kind of the seat the key to success for them he just really wears down people I mean I surely wouldn't want to tackle him um I I don't think there's a lot to be said about that besides the fact that he's just a massive human and makes NFL players look small
0: yeah we will get into that that game against um the Jets a little later on this episode but that shouldn't be a problem for Tennessee there uh moving on to the next game we kind of already talked about Washington football team but they ended up at Buffalo, they got crushed in this one. Um, I think they allowed 43 points in this one to the Bills. However, Matt, you already did talk about this Washington football team. So, uh, given that we already have that type of information, I want to talk more about that Buffalo side. In week four, they're favored by 15 and a half points on some books, and it goes all the way up to minus 17 at other books. Uh, this, is a, this is the highest line I've seen in a while. Um, is Buffalo. Certified elite to cover the spread, or is this too much, or is this a layoff? What's kind of your take here?
2: I mean, that's <clears throat> that's such a tough spot. I mean, 16 and a half is more than you're talking about a three score game. I mean, granted, they just did that to Washington, um, and they did it to Miami, but I don't know, it's that's just that's just so big for me to say Buffalo can cover and also you know, so big for me to say Houston couldn't cover. I mean, that's really a tough spot. What I saw from Buffalo last week was just clicking on all cylinders, really the last two weeks, their first game against Pittsburgh. Josh Allen really couldn't get the offense going. We didn't see much going on in the, in the passing game. Um, what's really kind of been maybe uh, a bright light for Buffalo has been Moss. I think he's got four touchdowns in the last two weeks, um, three or four. Um, Coming out of the backfield, if they can actually continue to keep him going, it really opens up, you know, the receivers, opens up that pass option, that play option game, which would be big for Buffalo. I mean, really, Washington probably only should have scored, what, 14 points? They had the most ridiculous kickoff in NFL history that put them automatically in the red zone. So, <laughs> tough to say. I don't know. Thinking about it now on the spot more would probably lean Buffalo, but man, 16 and a half. When was, I don't know the last time we saw a line that large. It's probably the largest line in, in two or three years.
0: Yeah, it's really high up there. I'm personally on a layoff here. I know that miles kind of talked over the past three episodes on how Texans defense isn't as bad as we might perceive it to be. Um, I don't know, miles, is there any edge there? Like with that being said, or is this kind of still a layoff game?
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually had the opportunity to take the Texans plus 17 and a half, and I still laid off. Um, I I knew that number would go the other way, but I was just like, do I really want to entrust Davis Mills with my hard-earned money? And I sat there, and I thought about it for a little bit, and I thought, you know, I don't have to bet every game, so I'm not going to bet this one. Um, Yeah. If if I were to look at a prop of this game, I would look for Davis Mills to throw an interception because I think he got lucky not throwing one against the Panthers, and I think he'll be in a spot where he has to come back from a large deficit and will try to force things similar to what Taylor Heineke did. So I would look for that prop, and I would play it um, honestly as much as minus one seventy.
2: I, I I've got another prop for you. Go ahead. I, I mean, they have yet to give up 300 yards in the air. Even to Pittsburgh, I mean, they only give up 252. I mean, if there's a Mills prop anywhere around 250 to 260, I'd take the under on that.
1: Yeah, that's a good one for sure. Don't hate that.
0: Noted. So two potential props to take there um, in a game where the spread doesn't look like there's much of an edge here. Moving forward, a game of the week for sure would be the Chargers versus the Chiefs. Um, The Chiefs are 1-2 and to start the season. Their defense is graded as league's worst, according to PFF. And Mahomes, their two interceptions. But hey, Josh Gordon is signing with them, so all is good, right? Um, But bad defense and an offense is turning the ball over seems to be a problem for the Chiefs right now. Miles, I'll let you go ahead and talk about how Herbert and the Chargers ended up taking the W here.
1: Yeah, I mean, first off, I think that Josh Gordon is a great fit with the Chiefs. I know that historically uh, peyote is a great uh, common commonality between Josh Gordon and Chiefs. So I think that that's going to work out pretty well. Uh, as far as the Chargers, I would say that this team looks like they're ready to make a Super Bowl run. Um, Justin Herbert is legit. I know that we had speculated, mostly myself, there could be some regression since he had very high PFF grade under pressure last year, which is generally uh fluky. But they've revamped that offensive line so it's, he's not even under pressure as much. And they have weapons all around. Mike Williams looks like a legit 1B receiver to Keenan Allen 1A. Um, the defense is flying around. I mean, them holding Dallas to 20 points looks more impressive now. Uh, they they obviously took care of business against the chiefs created three turnovers. Uh, so it's, it's a situation where I'm high on the chargers rather than super worried about the chiefs. Are you high enough to back this
0: chargers team as a three and a half point favorite at um, home on Monday night football against the Raiders?
1: Yeah. So that's a interesting question. Um, that there would be a majority of Raiders fans in that Chargers stadium this weekend, which I believe, right? Cause Oakland Raiders is where they are originally from. So I think the Raiders getting three and a half points is a little much considering they actually will have more of the fans.
2: I'm, I'm full stand on the Chargers. I think, I mean, one of the toughest losses I've had this season was them not covering against Dallas. I personally think, I personally think, I mean, they, they blew that game. I'm, I'll I'll say it straight up. They were one for four in the red zone. I mean, absolutely threw that game away. Um, but I'll just say this. I think they're legit. I do like the Raiders. I had them in that huge Monday night game against, was it Monday night, Sunday night, Sunday night game against Baltimore. Um, miles. I know, you know, we were high on them in that game over Baltimore. Now, you know, that was right. a nice win, but I mean, Derek Carr, he's hes throwing on all cylinders. I think, you know, potentially the over... Let's see where that, that's at. I mean, potentially the over... 50, oh, 52 and a half is kind of high. But, I mean, you're talking about right now two of the highest, you know, best-throwing offenses in the game. Um, but I'll just say this, all right? There's a chance right now that the Chargers could very well end the season 6-1. and one. So... Let's just not be surprised if they're the number one or two seed. That's all I'm saying.
1: Wait, in the season six and one.
2: Yeah, they're their they're last seven games. I'm just saying, like, that's how oh, high oh, I am oh. on this team. Their yeah, last seven it. games are very nice, <laughs> very nice schedule they got. And this is a team that's, you know, that that's going to be ready for the playoffs and they're going to make some noise. And I don't think a lot of people are talking about them.
0: We're going to move on to the next game here. Um, Arizona versus the Jacksonville Jaguars. This game was an interesting one. Arizona closed out with about 80% of the spread tickets on them. They were favored by seven and a half points. Um, Matt, I have a question for you. Was there at any point you felt that Jacksonville could win this game when they were up 19-10, late in the third, given that there was a 75.4% win probability near the end of the third when Jacksonville was up um, at that score?
2: God, no. Oh my God. No. Good Lord. That team is so bad. I mean, so here, here's, here's the thing is that the Arizona defense is, is not, you know, phenomenal. Um, I mean, they're not, they're not bad by any means They're not, you know, a bottom tier defense, but they're also, I want to consider them a, a top five defense, um, maybe in the area of 10, but at the end of the day, I mean, they only gave up, you know, 13 points to Jacksonville. There was a 109-yard field goal return. So, I mean, the Jacksonville offense, they, they couldn't move the ball at all. I mean, it was just a matter of time for Kyler, in my opinion. Um, you know, maybe the spread, was I was a little worried at times, you know, at one point. But for Arizona to win that game, I had no fears whatsoever.
0: So do you kind of have that same mentality going into week four when they're on the road against the Rams at plus four and a half?
2: Let me tell you, the Rams are a good team. I I hate to admit it. We, I know you, I know Corey was on last week and he's a massive Rams fan and hopefully he doesn't even listen to this episode, but they might be the real deal. I kind of, I mean, I've, I've loved Stafford for a long time. I thought he was a great quarterback. He's got a, a heck of an arm and he's the per, he seems to be the perfect fit. Um, and I think a lot of people might be, you know, overreacting a little bit. There seems to be a quite the hype train for Rams winning the Super Bowl. It's become – I mean, I've seen it, like, almost everywhere now, Um, which I think is getting a little carried away. I think they definitely are a contender. I don't know if I would say that they're favorites or anything. But four is – I mean, we just saw what they did to to Tampa, and I would consider Tampa a better team than Arizona. I mean, honestly, you know, I'd probably – play I probably lay the points on LA on this one.
0: It's an interesting take for me. It's a, it's a layaway. I, I'm, I actually have circled this one as my game of the week. I'm actually really curious to, to see the outcome of this one and just watch it and see how kind of Arizona defense looks to match, you know, the Rams defense, but um, I'm not against it. I'm not against it. I think the Rams, they look really, really good this year. And with Stafford inserting over golf, I think that's the right move. And, um, they're moving it down the field really well. So um, yeah, I'm not against that. Let's move on to the next game that happened was the New York Jets versus the Denver Broncos. Um, And boy, are the Jets lost. Okay. Zach Wilson hasn't displayed an ounce of hope for me. Um, Seven interceptions through three games. And I understand he's a rookie. Um, You know, at the same time, I think some of the, you know, blame has to go to the coaching staff, right? The Jets took Robert Salat, who's been a defensive coordinator his entire career, and then they made him into a head coach, and he clearly does not know what to do with the offense. So, 0 um, 3 for a clear reason. I think that losing streak should surely continue next week against the Titans. Miles, like, I, I, almost, I honestly feel like I don't even know why I'm going to ask you what is there to look at, Jets, because I don't feel like there's much, unless you want to talk about a week four uh, potential bet on Tennessee.
1: No. So, I actually had jets and a teaser all the way up to 17 and a half and they couldn't even cover that for me i mean they got blanked in this game um you know it's it's a situation where you have a rookie head coach you have a rookie quarterback it's just not a great marriage right now you have a uh, you know one of them is zach wilson's uh, mormon and then you have robert salah you can only speculate what's going on there i just don't think it's a good fit
0: yeah, I'm with you, and I think that that's going to continue to happen the rest of the season. Uh, moving on to the next game, the Miami Dolphins versus the Las Vegas Raiders. Honestly, this game should not have been a nail-biter for the Raiders, but it ended up being so, um, simply because of the last drive, really. Brissett took Miami from the 18-yard line, their own 18-yard line, to the Raiders' end zone and converted two fourth downs on that trip, sent it to OT. However, the Raiders won that field goal battle in overtime and squeaked away with another win going 3-0. and on the year. Um, what, what kind of happened here with the Raiders mile? How did that break down?
1: Yeah. Like you said that this was a game they a hundred percent should have covered. They had the dolphins, uh, at fourth down with the game on the line twice and just couldn't put the game away. Um, the dolphins also, I, I thought played pretty well on defense. Obviously that pick six was a huge defensive play, but if you take that pick six away, then it's not even a game. Uh, I think the Raiders kind of were in the driver's seat the whole game, which is weird to say considering it went into overtime, but I think this was a misleading final for sure. And I I can't really say that the Dolphins deserve to cover this game.
0: Yeah, no, I actually 100% agree. If you look at the just like box score and you look at the stat, right, if you look at the score, you're just thinking, okay, well, the Dolphins did a good job of covering. And, and realistically, the game script told otherwise. Um, so Miami, having covered this game, fortunately for them, they're going to go home in week four as a minus one and a half favorite. Some books actually are all the way up to minus two and a half. Um, and they're against the 0-3 Colts. Is this a spot to back the – struggling Colts here what are, is there any edge to be had here
1: yeah I think the play here is actually under 43 under forty-three and a half. Uh, these are two teams with great defenses you saw the Colts limit the Rams on offense a couple of weeks ago even the Titans they played pretty well and they're two quarterbacks in Carson Wentz and Jacoby Brissett or even if it's Tua that I'm not very high on. I think that both teams will play not to lose the game with a relatively conservative play call. I think that the under is the move here. I don't really want to bet on either of those teams personally. Yeah, I can get behind that under as well.
0: I I think that's a lock for this game. Um, Another afternoon game to look at is the Seattle Seahawks versus the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and no chalk locks. We all had the Vikings to cover the spread here. Some some grabbed at plus one and a half early. Others grabbed later at plus two and a half. But I think going into this game, we were all just high on Minnesota to cover the spread. And for good reasons, right? Like, they start the season out 0-2 in two games that they honestly could have won. They go into week three to Minnesota for their first home game against the Seattle secondary that I personally would say is average and by metric standpoint is probably below average this year. And so the Vikings ended up silencing that Seattle offense in the second half second half to pick up their first win uh matt do you want to kind of talk about how minnesota pulled away here
2: i mean don't get me started on captain kirk um i think kirk cousins is highly underrated i think he gets a really bad rep and i couldn't tell you why but i mean right now seattle has given up eighth most like yards adjusted yards per attempt and, I mean, even on yards per completion, they're still only middle of the pack. Like, they're just, for passing, I mean, they're really just not, the secondary is just not there. They've given up the seventh most um, yards per game to quarterbacks. I mean, their offense is still is still great. I mean, Metcalf and Lockett, I mean, they're phenomenal wide receivers. But, I mean, it's kind of like what we've seen with Kansas City. Like, you gotta you got to have a defense. The defense has got to click. So, it's a tough spot. I mean, we were all on Minnesota for the reasons of their secondary. I think... It'll be interesting this week because we see Seattle playing San Francisco, who doesn't have a quarterback. So, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting this week um, because they really are just trying to stop the run. Jimmy G stinks. But I'd probably, you know, look at Seattle this week a lot more than, you know, last week. But I'd be interested in what Miles' thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah, this is a game where we were talking earlier in our group chat um, that the line opened up. Around San Francisco minus three and a half. So if you like Seattle, you should play it early. Now it's at three. Some books have it at three even money, and I'm actually waiting and hoping that it goes to San Francisco minus two and a half, and then I'll play that. Honestly, it's more of a numbers thing because eighteen uh, point six eight percent of games end on three. So three is such a valuable number. Uh, logic would tell you that if it's a uh, slotted to be a three-point game, that that percentage of it laying on three is actually higher. Uh, I also think that the Vikings ran all over the Seahawks, even without Dalvin Cook. You, could, you couldn't you could even tell that Dalvin Cook wasn't in. And if the San Francisco 49ers do have one thing going for them, it is their run scheme with that patented zone running scheme that Shanahan likes to install. So, But they don't have a running back. Yeah, Trey Sermon Trey Sermon is highly touted. So we'll see if he finally pulls through. Because you're right, he hasn't looked great so far. But I do think that this is a game that I'm going to lay off at the three. And if it gets to two and a half, then I'm going to play the 49ers. And Jimmy G, you know, he, he isn't great. But he's enough to succeed in the Shanahan offense. Uh, and, you know. That's, that could be enough for this game. Yeah, so
0: I, I'm actually on the other side. I laid early on
1: with Seattle at plus three and a half. I'd
0: actually even take a plus three here. Um, and my thing is, like Matt said, right, San Francisco's so run dependent. This this team is, doesn't have a running back, right? They're missing a lot of their depth there. And I don't think Sermon looked great at all against the Packers. And I don't even think the Packers are all that well of a rush defense in itself. Um, I think Seattle could easily attack... Here's my thing. San Francisco does a nice job at creating pressure on the quarterback. I think that Russell Wilson has been so good in dropbacks and in under pressure over the past years of this game is just going to be another kind of like in his element game. Um, Obviously, you guys might not see the same thing there, but for the sake of discussing that game, I'm I'm personally on the Seattle side of this one, um, as I do think they cover the spread here. Moving forward to the next game. Actually, this might have been the game of the week, not even the uh, the Rams game early, but Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, they ended up visiting the LA Rams. And Brady records 432 passing yards, but it just simply wasn't enough as the Bucs played from behind the entire game. I personally thought this game would be closer going into week three. However, I was wrong. Um, so Miles, do you want to talk about how the Rams pulled away with this one?
1: Yeah, I think that in the end, it was a situation where the Rams just matched up well with the Bucks, right? The Rams have one of the best cornerbacks in the game and Jalen Ramsey and the Bucks are pass heavy and Antonio Brown was out with COVID uh, on the other end of things. You can't really run against the Bucks that well, but the Rams have a, an elite passing game with Stafford and Cooper Cup and apparently Deshaun Jackson's still alive. So it's good to see. And I think that it was just a situation where the matchup favored the Rams, and clearly McVeigh was pumped going into this game. I don't know if you saw the film of him at halftime after the Buccaneers missed the kick. He was running up and down the sideline, even on the Deshaun Jackson touchdown. And I remember last week me talking about how This could be a revenge game for McVay, who kept Brady in check under the last Super Bowl. Clearly seemed like he was extra motivated this week, but what do I know?
0: Yeah, I think penalties also hurt Tampa Bay here. Ended up with seven to Rams one. I can't say that Tom Brady, you know, didn't look bad, because he didn't. He didn't look bad. Um, I think this game just came down to who's the better defense here, and, and the Rams took away with this one.
1: That was actually the first time that Tom Brady had thrown for over 400 passing yards, not recorded a single turnover, and lost the game. So that just tells me that you're right. You know, the Rams just had a little bit better of an offense and a little bit better of a defense. It wasn't even a fluky turnover thing. So keep that in mind later because these teams could definitely see each other again in the postseason.
0: Yep. Yeah, I took my elder on the Bucks covering the spread. But overall, we went on the week, so can't complain there. Um, and then finally, the Sunday night game, the Green Bay Packers versus the 49ers. Uh, and I, I personally think that this game from the start was Green Bay's to have. Um, and it, it, like flags were thrown left and right here. I mean, we saw a lot of flags that benefited Green Bay, and there was a ton of PI calls. Um, but aside of that, Rodgers looked great. I can't say the same for Garoppolo, especially early on, even when the Packers were losing, uh, or even when the Packers were up 17, not 17 to 0. I still didn't think the Niners had any business in in winning this one. Um, Matt, do you feel kind of the same way, or do do you think that second-half rally from San Francisco was uh, a legit thing?
2: So, first, Packers and P.I., I I mean, they go go hand-in-hand, like, you know, peanut butter and jelly. No kidding. (laughs) But, you know, I have a lot of concerns for the Packers, and I'm a Packers fan, and I mean, I'll be straightforward about it. I mean, if they – it just, they have to find another wide receiver. I mean, the problem is, is teams, you know, if they have any kind of, you know, pretty good coverage on, on Devontae Adams, the Packers are really in a hole. Um, but then also the Packers defense has, has been n- not great The way. They just let San Francisco just kind of, you know, move the ball all over them in the second half. Wasn't, wasn't great. I don't think we're looking at anywhere near the same Packers team as last year, even though the, most of the roster is the same. Um, so there's a lot of concerns there. I mean, they did change their defensive coordinator. Clearly, that's been a, a huge impact. But, but yeah, I agree. I mean, personally, I wasn't worried um, for most of the game until San Francisco took the lead at the end. But Rodgers is going to do what Rodgers is going to do. Um, but, I mean, you know, Green Bay, you're looking at a team that, they really just haven't been able to really stop the run much, you know, whether they figure out or not is going to be a huge impact onto the lines that we're going to see from Vegas down, down the road. I think, I think seven is a little bit of overreaction for this week. Like we talked about earlier from the way Pittsburgh played against Cincinnati. Um, for me, it's just kind of a layoff game just because, you know, both teams I think have underperformed from really what their potential is, but yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, I think Packers are definitely a, a team to watch for Vegas Lions moving forward because I think we're going to see a lot of either overreactions or some pretty significant corrections from Vegas.
1: All right, I was just going to say that this game was uh, littered with flags, and there has been a ton of flags just the first couple weeks. Um, really makes you wonder if the NFL should just simplify flags, but that's a discussion for another day. Yeah, if you watch Adams,
0: like every every time he's running down his route, he's looking for a flag, right? He's he's always trying to sell it. It's so obvious. The entire game was just like notorious. Like if you saw the ball thrown to be Adams, you better look for him to look at the ref and hold his hand up or something.
2: Um, uh, a fun a fun fact on it actually is that the but before that, what was it? Twenty eight yard pass to Adams. Um, you know, with thirty seconds on the clock over midfield. Um, before that play, the Packers two biggest yardage plays were both PI plays on the game.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's a, exactly. Yeah, it's a problem. So yeah, it's and, a problem. Simplify flags. I mean it's that simple. It's been said, and I'll say it again.
0: So um before we get into that, or I'm sorry. Are we getting into that? No, we're not. Actually, I don't want to, because that's for another day. Um, we'll talk about the last game, though, which was the Dallas Cowboys uh, completely shitting the bed. And, Miles, I'll let you do more of the talking on this Monday Night Football game.
1: I'm assuming you mean shitting on the bed, because in the bed, oh being yeah, the, Eagles, being, Eagles. The, being the Eagles, because uh, they absolutely killed the Eagles. Mike McCarthy tried to screw the Cowboys with a lot of questionable uh, game-time decisions, going for one when their team was up 20. Uh, you know, instead of just going for two, well, they were up 19, should have gone for two to make it 21, but didn't end up biting them in the end. Uh, I don't know if this was an anomaly from the Eagles. I do think that something that really hurt them is they couldn't get any pressure on Dak, and they were sitting back in a soft zone, uh, kind of too high, cover two, and Dak was just able to pick them apart the whole night. But this is some a game that I'm going to take with a grain of salt, and I actually think this is a perfect time to take the under in the Dallas versus Carolina game. I know it's at 50-and-a-half right now. I just don't think the Panthers' offense is that good, and I think that the Cowboys' offense isn't as good as we saw this week.
0: So That's saying a lot, you guys. He just said his own team's offense this isn't good, so no bias there. The under is a good play. Definitely get on that. I personally think that's a really high total because the Panthers defense has looked good this year. And, um, McCaffrey. And, this and
2: McCaffrey too, right?
0: That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. That's how they run their offense majority of the time. Um, Shit, so yeah, that is a problem. So that'll recap week three of the NFL. Gave you some spots and some props to hit for week four. If you want to get more of those bets that we will be releasing later in the week, make sure to follow us at No Chalk Locks on Twitter we'll be posting those plays um, and sending them to your phone right away when we enter them. So let's get into NHL. I'm excited. We are two weeks away. um, And what better way to start off a conversation with Matt regarding a futures bet on who will win the cup. So my big question to you, Ash is will the tides turn in Florida? The lightning are back-to-back Stanley cup champs, but the Panthers are the real team to be looking at this year. Is that so?
2: It's a great question, Alex. Um, You know, three Pete would be insane. Um, this Tampa team is still gonna be very good, but they had, they lost some key pieces due to cap struggles. Um, you know, Blake Coleman, one of the best depth two way forwards in the game is gonna be a huge loss for Tampa this year. When all said and done, they still have the best winger in the league as well as the best goalie in the league. So, I mean, obviously they're going to compete, but yes, the Florida Panthers, um, you know, right now I'm laying a future on them. You know, the line I've seen is plus 2000 to win the cup reason being um, I'm really looking at that line is because it seems like a huge misprice from, from Vegas. Um, So if you actually take a look at season projections, they have Florida projected as the sixth highest points this season, meaning they think, you know, that, I mean, essentially meaning the sixth best team in the league, but then yet, For some reason, they have them tied for eighth um, on their projections to win the Stanley Cup. And the team they're actually tied with is projected for four less points than them on the season. Um, So that line doesn't really make a lot of sense for me. So I see a lot of value in that. But the other piece of it is that, you know, this Florida team, when all said and done, they were the fourth highest scoring team last year. A lot of the teams in the East got a lot worse or not a lot, but, you know, somewhat worse. Boston lost Krejci. Tampa lost some key players. Carolina lost their best defenseman. Pittsburgh and Washington are getting older. And you see Florida go out and they actually get better and add a 30 a 30 goal scoring winger, um, which is, you know, something that they really lacked. Um, a, you know, dominant scoring winger was their biggest issue is or where it has been, even though they were scoring all these goals, they had no pure goal scorers. So adding Sam Reinhardt gives me a lot of, a lot of love for Florida this year.
0: Yeah. And even, you know, key additions like Joe Thornton, I know that some might, you know, pull the jokes of that he's an older guy and this is his retirement phase, but like really he, he's a, he can still produce. And that's good leadership to have on your team too. And, You're right. I think Sam Reinhart is a huge boost coming from Buffalo. I think he's been in a losing environment so much that this is kind of give him that boost that he needs to kind of succeed in Florida. Um, And I think, like you said, at that value you're getting for them to win the cup, there's no way you shouldn't take a shot at that futures bet. So um, love that pick there. And speaking of trophies, the Art Ross Trophy is awarded to the player who leads the league in points at the end of the regular season. So I kind of want to know your pick. Is there a clear pick here for who will win this trophy?
2: So the issue is, is that I have to say Connor McDavid, um, Connor McDavid is quite literally the greatest thing to happen to hockey since Wayne Gretzky. Everyone thought it was Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid has just been out of this world over the last five years. He's led the league in points. So he's won the art Ross three times. The other two times he got second. And one of the times he got second, he actually, all he did was lose to his teammate, Leon Draisaitl. Um, so it's kind of crazy to me actually that he's even, even money for this bet. I mean, obviously you're talking about a future. It's hard to put, you know, to put someone as, you know, a large favorite on a future, but even at even money, um, granted, you know, it's being locked up until June, but that's still a phenomenal bet to me just because, I mean, he literally has been so dominant last season. This is probably one of the craziest stats I've seen in a while for a player, at least Last season, uh Connor McDavid led the league with by 21 points. He had 105 points. Second place was 84. Second place was Leon Draisaitl on his team. Third place was 69. So he had 36 more points than any player on any other team last year. I mean, that's just a margin that is like even if it gets smaller, I mean, it's just he's just that good, you know. Um and one of the years he got second he was second and he missed seven games. I mean, that's just how much better he is than everybody else. So at even money, um, you know, that's a good bet in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I like that too. I can get behind that bet. Um, so me being from Chicago, I have to know. So obviously I I know that from the top, the Blackhawks are not a great team to start with, but how much do the additions of Marc-Andre Fleury and Seth Jones add to this team? Also, can we expect Captain Taze to return to his normal self after missing an entire season last year?
2: Oh, that's a great question. So. Fleury has been a very up and down goalie his entire career. Um, when he's on his game, there's no doubt about it. He's one of the best goalies in the league. Um, you know, he's taken Vegas. He took Vegas to a cup final. He's, you know, won three cup finals with Pittsburgh. Um, former number, number one, overall pick last year, you know, one of the best goalies in the league um, ended up winning the Vesna for the best goalie in the league. So, you know, you can argue if it was his or not. I mean, I, I say he would deserve it. I think it's a good move by Chicago. Um, it's a great add. You know, there's a lot of people saying he was unhappy, but I think it. You know, it really bolsters their roster a lot. And then adding All-Star defenseman Seth Jones, um, he's one of the better two-way defensemen. He's a great puck transition. He's going to go very well with Patrick Kane. So I think Chicago is going to be a very high-scoring team. Um, they're going to be very fast-paced. They're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, I do think they're gonna be on the outside looking in for the playoffs, depending on how Flurry plays is gonna dictate whether or not they can scratch their way in. As for Jonathan Taves, you're asking a lot there. What was going on with him is really an unknown. It was never really fully like talked about and whatnot. It was kind of like an unknown illness. You know, part of people were saying he was potentially gonna return, you know, halfway through last year. He ended up not returning at all. Um, they're saying right now in camp that he is back to his normal self. I don't think we're going to see the production that we saw two years ago. He missed an entire season. So, you know, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of games. That's a lot of, you know, missed hockey. But I do think he's still going to exce- ex- excel in this league and be a huge, huge, um, you know, aspect to the Chicago team. And really, if they're going to want to make the playoffs this year, it's it's going to come down to him being able to perform not at his old level, but close to it.
0: Yeah, I agree there. And before, you know, just looking at the Blackhawks roster earlier today, I'm on the same page in the sense that they might be from the outside looking in. You know, like, it, I, I'm not sure. I like these these additions of Fleury and Jones, but I'm not quite sure if it's enough to get them over the hump. Um, so it will be interesting to see, you know, midseason, what they're kind of looking like, and um, if that is a possibility to make it to the playoffs this year. I want to keep those three questions at that because I want to get into a full more episode of NHL into next week. Um, So I'm going to keep that as a little sneak peek and a preview into some of the things we'll be talking about later on these episodes to come. Um, But I want to thank you guys for hopping on this podcast today to discuss some of the NHL um, upcoming season. And then of course the NFL week three and week four lines that we talked about as well. No chalk locks. I'm Alex Mueller, Ash and are joining me tonight. Um, We're signing off. Thank you.